Support for Pivot comes from Vanta. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated fast. Now, you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, and that platform is Vanta. Vanta's market-leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, you can save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. To learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews, watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash pivot. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash pivot to watch Vanta's on-demand demo. Support for Pivot comes from Pendo. Pendo improves the apps your customers and employees rely on. Whether you're building applications for customers or managing applications for employees, Pendo can help deliver better experiences for your users so they can get more value from your software. Visit pendo.io slash pivot to learn more about how your team can use Pendo to start building better digital experiences. There you can also check out Pendo's lineup of free certification courses, 12 hours of in-depth training for your product management teams on topics from AI to product analytics to product-led growth. That's pendo.io slash pivot to learn more. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Tim Cook. No, you're not. Tim Apple, you mean. He's leaning into it. I, so let me get this. Okay. Uh, Tim Cook. Tim yeah. Cook was on. I'm trying to think. You have two podcasts. I'm going to guess which one Tim Cook was on. <laughs> um, do I, uh, he'd, be, he'd be better banter with you and me, but you're uh, trying to build this new podcast. He's not a banter. Podcast. Go ahead. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here. And suggest that the CEO of the most valuable company in the world in technology, which is supposedly the no, theme that's, of this show. No, it's not true. It's Microsoft, I think. But go ahead. Keep going. He went on a more uh, more of an obvious fit for Pivot. Yeah. But yeah. he went on, yeah. let me think, let me think, Sway. Oh, God, Sway. It, he was on Sway. I don't, I'm not even going to go there because it's getting a little tired. But just <laughs> so tell like- us. About the interview you did All with Tim right. Cook on Are you, you know what? Listen to me. Listen to me, Scott. This It was a natural place for him to go. Apple versus Facebook. What are your thoughts there? I think, look, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but Facebook is at a, you know an all-time high, right? The stock's mm-hmm. at an all-time high. So it doesn't really matter what Tim Cook does or thinks about them because nobody seems to care. You know, until the government gets involved, even though they're going to do this, trans, I think it's ATT, something transparency uh, thing, um, nothing's going to happen to them. And so Cook is just going to push ahead with this 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 thing where you get to click that you're being tracked, essentially, or not. Um, and I don't know how much it's going to affect uh, Facebook. And he said he's not thinking about them at all. He thinks it's it's a flimsy <laughs> argument to argue yeah. that it's anything but privacy matter. You know, that it's, he doesn't understand why there's so much pushback from them um, and others. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I think they're just, and he also said they're not competitors. He doesn't consider them competitors. They are sort of, like what I said on CNBC this morning, weird roommates that don't like each other. They have to sort of coexist because, you know, uh, Facebook's one of the most popular apps on the iPhone and at the same time, and so is Instagram and all the others. And then at the same time, uh, they need Apple uh, to to be popular, right? So it's a weird 
bad relationship between them. Um, but they're moving forward on their, on this, uh, on this, uh, effort to, uh, make people say they want to be tracked, essentially you opt into it. Um, and you know, so was, let me, let me ahead. just press pause there. Sure. My sense is that he's in a, he's in a room mm-hmm. saying, we're going to put that, that motherfucker out of business. <laughs> And that that's what they're doing. And that to to de-cookie or whatever it is such that Facebook cannot track people across multiple platforms is basically saying, okay, we're going to go in and we're going to take out your liver. And you can function as a human for a little while without Mm -hmm. a liver, but effectively, I mean, they've gone in. If they accomplish this, they they take the most valuable consumer base in the world, which is iOS users, and they make them dramatically less valuable to Facebook. Yes, they do. They do. But there's still Google, you know, there's still Android, there's still across mm-hmm. the world, there's still all kinds of things that Facebook can do. And I think, you know, Facebook, I think he sort of scoffed at Facebook's um, idea that, that they're there for small businesses. You remember those ads they were doing? <laughs> we're here for Thank God. Thank goodness. Thank God. The billionaires are protecting us from terrible, terrible Apple. Um, You know, it's interesting. I think he's like, doesn't give a fuck. That's my, that was my sense. Um, Well, one thing that was interesting is that he said he hoped to have Parler back on the platform, app platform, if they behave, like if they do their moderation. Not if, I mean, behave wasn't the Mm -hmm. word he used. But, you know, that was interesting. It caused a lot of, like, what? And of course, he was like, look, if they follow moderation policies, they should be mm-hmm. able to say what they want, even if it's, you know, and I was like, it's a pit of, you know, it can be a pit. And, but he was sort of saying that we, they just wouldn't follow moderation policies and that's it. And he talked a lot about his, the fight with Epic. And of course he had his point of view um, about mm-hmm. safety and the linkage and you couldn't, you couldn't side load apps and thus and that and said they're going to fight it. And, uh, but I, he, I sensed in that part of the conversation that there's a lot of flexibility in what they're going to do with app developers. And I think they recognize that it's their problem. They have a big problem there. Um, well, so. one is uh, when they when they punch, when he punches. So first off, I think this is all a recognition of death. I think he's mm-hmm. finally figured out that distinctive captaining the most successful company in the last 10 years, he's going to die. Yeah. And that he's decided he's willing to take some risks that might have a social impact and leave the world a better place. Because his complexion on these issues, most CEOs just stay out of this shit. Yeah. And I think he's decided, you know, I, 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 if they're going to build a statue for me, it's not going to be because I increased the value of, of Apple. Yeah. And it feels to me like he's more willing to put definitely shareholder risk at risk f- to, to do what he believes is the right thing. And also that right thing happens to be very advantageous to usually to his shareholders. On Facebook, he realizes that it's a great punching bag and then Mark Zuckerberg is a sociopath and that uh, anything you do to get in the way of Facebook is probably good for humanity. Yeah. Um, but uh, Parler, I think that's, you know, that's a lot of nice rhetoric that we need voices on both sides. We'll see. I'd be shocked if Parler ever ends up back in the app yeah, store. Yeah, I don't think they'll moderate correctly. That's And then on Epic, he realizes he's the bad guy. Yeah. He realizes that he has become the enemy. He is Cersei realizing that she's become the wheel instead of trying to break the wheel. That when he goes after Epic, he's kind of all wet there. He's the bad guy. Yeah. Yep. I think that was was true. One of the things I thought was interesting was the car thing. Uh, He he acknowledged that he didn't speak to Elon, and that they if they made if they made a car, they would make the whole car, which was interesting. Really? Yeah. That they would go vertical. They would manufacture it. He said we would not just make the software. 
No, if we were to be in cars. He kind of, and I said, so that's a yes. And he, he's, he's silent, essentially. And so I think they're there. And AR was a big thing he was talking about when we were talking that wouldn't it be great if he could put up graphs to show me things? Like, you know, a lot of AR stuff, mm-hmm. I think, is in the works. And healthcare is still a big area of interest for him. Um, uh, he, would, he didn't, I don't think I asked him about Peloton, but, you know, healthcare is a big area for him. And he said he, they're, they're still interested in content. I think it's a rounding error for them. Um, mm-hmm. But he said he... he He's interested in making great shows, and it's an important part of their ecosystem. So it was good. I'll tell you, the moment he gets on stage with, yeah. even if it's a cardboard cutout of an Apple car or yeah. a car, electric car with an Apple logo on it, yeah. within 10 business days of that, yeah. take $100 billion from Tesla and shift it over to Apple. Well, we'll see. We'll see. He's got to make it. Like, look, you know, we all, you know, we, everyone's, Tesla's up again, obviously, this week, today. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's hard to do what Elon's doing. I, he acknowledged, he was quite yeah. effusive in his praise for Elon. Maybe that's right before he sticks the knife in his back. But um, it was, he was quite, he went out of his way to compliment Elon Musk. I don't, I don't, I mean, you know, I'm not a fan of Elon Musk, but just like <laughs> over the last 36 months, yeah. to not acknowledge the yeah. extraordinary, you know, gray matter between Elon Musk's ears is to, yeah. I don't know, be in total denial. Yeah. That'll be, and what's interesting is, all of a sudden, overnight, I mean, in, literally in a year, the automobile market has gone from a low-margin, shitty business mm-hmm. to one of the most valuable yeah, industries in the world because mm-hmm. Tesla has turned it from a hundred, you know, the automobile manufacturing business from a hundred billion-dollar market to a near trillion-dollar market, mm-hmm. and that, that is entirely full stop. Why Apple is all of a sudden rethinking getting yeah. into the? What's interesting is they were supposedly going to partner with Volkswagen or Hyundai, yes. and outsource the kind of low-margin, shitty part, of the manufacturing, and I try and be the so. operating system. It kind of makes sense they would go vertical though, because yeah. their their strength, Apple's strength, is it's the greatest intersection of hardware and software. Yeah, to date, and so a car that is fully integrated, and also Apple's. People don't talk about this. Apple has so many strengths, but it's strength they don't talk about it. People always say it's their marketing, it's their branding. Tim Cook has built arguably the most robust supply chain in the world, maybe with the exception of Apple. Yeah. And so, if if anyone can kind of pull off the the dance or the orchestra of of parts coming into a factory from anywhere. That's his area That's of his thing, right? It's his thing. It's his thing. I think it was interesting. I think uh, the AR stuff he's always been very excited about, um, which yeah. is interesting. One of the things he also did is he, and let's get into the other thing, is is he um, went, you know, he doubled down on this stuff in Arkansas and Georgia and other places, um, you know, the voting stuff. And he was like, mm-hmm. you know what? Essentially, what was really interesting about the conversation, he like dripping with disdain for Zuckerberg, liking Elon and stuff like that. And then with this social stuff, he was, I asked him about the law, the gay and lesbian. We talked a little bit about his being coming out a few years ago, mm-hmm. but he he's on his 10th anniversary as CEO. And that company has gone from $350 billion to, to two. $2 trillion. Yeah. I mean, he's added, he's added more shareholder value than any individual in history. Indeed. It's really interesting. So I think he's in that place, like, forget it. And so he doesn't care about the pressure about, you know, saying anything about voting rights, which is interesting because a lot of companies, well, they're getting, they're facing threats of pressure and boycotts. I don't think these companies care. Like the Republicans have decided to, uh, to call them woke companies uh, and mm-hmm. publicly oppose election, legis- those who publicly oppose election legislation in Georgia and other states. Tim could not care less 
what these Republicans think. That's my impression uh, of talking to him. He's like, Fear of death again. You know, not just that, but there's lots of corporations. So CEOs from more than 100 companies, including Target, Snapchat, Uber, issued a public statement opposing any measures that deny eligible Mm -hmm. voters the right to cast ballots. Major League Baseball says it will no longer hold this Mm all-star game in Atlanta because of the controversy. Delta Airlines and Coca-Cola, both companies headquartered in Georgia, are facing backlash Mm -hmm. from Republicans for speaking out against the new restrictive laws. Um, what the, what do you imagine? And then the Republicans go in full whole hog, you know, McConnell just whined about it saying, you know, how dare they, how dare they, mm-hmm. you know, cancel us and this and that. We're going to be talking about cancel later, but what do you, I think it's crazy what the Republicans are doing here. Maybe I'm misreading it. Well, boycotts are ineffective. They just, yeah. t- typically speaking, they just don't work. They and do but what is effective is that the boycott, when when the All-Star Game withdraws or leaves Atlanta, it it inspires a new cycle of more scrutiny on just how just how strange and unfortunate and quite frankly just how un-American, you know this this voter voter um, restriction legislation, which is premised on a lie. <laughs> we need to expand. They're trying to position as we're expanding voter access. It's like, well, no, there was no voter fraud. It's just the whole thing. It, it, anything that brings more scrutiny to it weakens it. Mm-hmm. And while the boycotts themselves aren't going to have any impact or near no impact, what does have impact is that when the All Star Game and Delta Airlines keep it in the news cycle, mm-hmm. the additional it's like the Derek Chauvin trial. The reason why the trial is so important is not only because this might have been a murder and a crime, mm-hmm. and, and there needs to be punishment it out. But you see what happened here, and it reminds us that it just puts us back. It puts it back in our face again that this is just so awful. Yeah, and this is where America is. And again, I, it's not the boycotts, but it's the additional scrutiny of what is an incredibly, or I kind of can't imagine a more un-American legislation than this. Uh, it's the scrutiny, not the boycotts, that have an impact. So what do you what do you imagine? I mean, what what do you think of the Republicans doing this? Then we need to get to the big story. Doing this, saying like that these are woke. They're using terms like woke companies. Mitch McConnell said something inane. How dare they do this? It's effective. Um, I think that there is a backlash amongst, or a I think it's there's there's a a real feeling that the Democratic Party has rather than focusing on everyday problems that face real Americans have decided that their mission and their resources should be focused on being a self-appointed police force for cultural issues. And that moderates and conservatives find this really unappealing. So I think to go these are to corporations this- corporations doing it. Yeah, but, but basically what conservatives are saying is that you have these big corporations that have been weaponized or, or intimidated by wokesters. Oh, and, stop it. And to re- I'm ta- I'm okay. talking the Republican talk right, track. Okay, I'm right, not I'm right. not saying that I believe this. Yeah. I'm saying this is their playbook, and I think it's an effective one. I do not. I think people like the corporations, and so I think people like corporations more than they like Republicans, and they trust the the things they use. I think this will, and especially they decided not to take any money from them. That's crazy. Like this is like this creates a real you know they could try mm-hmm. for the populist thing, but most of them mm-hmm. are not populist. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. To see what happens. Um, all right. So you adopted a dog, right? That's right. Oh, Tell my God. Very briefly, and then we got to get to Janet Yellen. Um, Did so, you call the dog Janet Yellen? <laughs> uh, we're either going to call her Alea uh-huh. or um, As in uh, Cersei uh, oh, or dear. Daenerys. We've got, we've got a bunch of, we're still tossing them in. Anyways, we got, 
When I was eight years old and my parents split up, I used to come home and there was the most frightening animal next door named Thor. And yeah. it was a Great Dane, a male Great Dane. Mm -hmm. And this thing ended up being, as the breed is, just the sweetest and most loving yeah, they are nice dogs. breed in the world. And literally, Kara, I'm not exaggerating, for four decades, I have wanted a Great Dane. And they don't make sense. They're too big. I like they don't live Dane. long. Don't apologize have, for a Great Dane. They have bad hips. Yeah. I've always gotten rescue dogs, never a pure breed. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to be dead soon. What do I want more than anything? Dying? Are you dying soon? We're all dying fast. I understand Time that. Time goes faster than, than we right all think. Moment. I'm probably dying it's faster motivating. than you. Okay, good, good. Okay. Anyways, but I thought, what do I want most in the world? Great Dane. Uh, uh, in terms of something I can buy, if you will. I want to steal Blue Great Dane. And I went to Kentucky. Steal Blue. Which, by the way, dog breeders in Kentucky, th th we, they and I have a lot in common. We really hung out and we really got to know each other. Wow. Um, uh, but I went and got something I've wanted for 40 years. I went and bought a steel blue great day. Steel blue? Great. Yeah. I can't wait to. You know, I just made, I'm going down to see Scott in Florida, everybody. You're coming to the dog town. <laughs> I'm coming to the dog. That's you right. Better, come to Florida. You better have a nice place. I don't, don't like, the, the pictures on Airbnb look very nice. The I pictures. gotta fix the smoke alarms. Okay. All right. Okay. I can yeah, do that. Lesbians that nice. are coming. We can handle that for you. That might not be very nice. I want to meet the dog. I want to meet, I'm very excited. Oh, you will. I want to meet will. all, how many dogs do you have? Uh, just two. Okay, uh, we're bringing gangster, Clara our to rescue. meet your kids. We're swimming yeah, in your pool, we're doing et cetera, et cetera. She may pee yeah, in your it's pool. It's going to be nice. You like that idea? Well, uh, so do I. I mean, bring her in. <laughs> okay. All right, we're going to get on to big stories. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will call for a global minimum corporate rate tax to prevent companies from going overseas. Yellen says she and the Biden administration will work with G20 nations to agree to implement this tax rate in order to create a more level playing field. Her plan comes as President Joe Biden's looking to raise a corporate tax rate as a way to pay for the $2 trillion infrastructure improvement plan. Under the administration proposal, the corporate tax rate would climb to 28% from 21. The increase would mm -hmm. come just four years after former President Donald Trump slashed the rate from 35%, which at the time was the highest in the world. What what, what thinks you on this, Scott? Very bold move by Janet Yellen. Well, they had to have it because yeah. uh, basically the Republicans say, you know, our most productive citizens will leave the country or our, our job creators will leave the country. And so there needs to be some sort of bilateral agreement yeah. on taxes. Otherwise, it just becomes a race to the bottom where yeah. Apple ends up incorporating in the Isle of Man, which they have done. Yeah. Um, so we need to, we need to, we can't enforce taxes unless unless we have some sort of bilateral or multilateral G20 um, agreement. But this is, it's really interesting. The legislation is really fascinating. I think the Biden administration is so smart because they could have gone after, and I'm parroting the Meet the Press episode this weekend, but and who, by the way, is parroting us like maniacs. Yeah, All of a sudden, they're taking an interest in virgins. Who yeah. talked about that? In, in young men who haven't had sex? Yeah. Oh, my God. Who talked about that this week? We are literally we're dictating, dictating the media coverage, the media coverage. of the most thoughtful people in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, anyway, enough of us. Yeah. But you have... You have, he could have gone after guns. Yeah. He could have gone after um, immigration. And he said, no, our, our signature legislation has to be something that can get done. And this is, a lot of parts of this are popular yeah. with Republicans, but okay, if we're going to do a big thing, we have to pay for it. Uh, well, let, how do we pay for it? Let's go after the least popular um, uh, uh uh, entity and that is corporations who haven't paid their taxes. their taxes. There were some numbers out this week. Nike, FedEx, and Amazon yeah. don't pay any taxes. So, yeah. uh, so this feels to me like really smart legislation. It's not. 
it's it's kind of it's basically redefined or dramatically expanded the term infrastructure. Infrastructure now, I guess, yeah, includes everything. caring for our seniors. Yeah, everything. Uh, so it's kind of kind of does. Uh, so it could be you could have called this UBI to a certain extent, um, but it's it'll be really interesting to see what see what happens here. Um, I'm excited about it. I love infrastructure, even though I would say only about half of this is what most people think traditionally of infrastructure, and then going after. Going, taking the tax rate to a happy medium, not back to the 30, 38 or 37, but going back to Do you to think other countries are going to sign on to this? I mean, who won't, who wouldn't, wouldn't, would not? Well, we have a pretty big hammer. Just as we have a default currency, if we could say to them, look, if you don't do this, we're going to be, we're going to, this won't pass. We're going to be lower than you mm-hmm. and you're going to have inversions. I mean, everybody runs the same risk and we, we show up with the biggest stick. So, I think I think uh, it just makes sense. Who who this hurts is places like Ireland yeah. or you know all these tax havens, and no one's really fond of those guys. No one's saying, yeah. "Oh, we need to we you know or Amsterdam or wherever people start to headquarter." Uh, so I I think this is a great move, and it kind of backstops an argument here. What that do you Jan- think? Yellen's a smart one. That's what I think. I think Hello, they're doing everything, Professor at, at Berkeley. Yeah, I think they're doing everything in a very coordinated way. This is sort of like then smart. this. Than this, than this, than this. 100%. And so I think it's really, and I think it's stuff that's very hard for Republicans to fight back on. Um, makes it harder. It's, it's hard to get a piece of him. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they, they were desperately trying this weekend with the uh, Jill Biden's outfit. She was wearing fishnet what? stockings. She was she got off a plane wearing really cool fishnet stockings and looking real hot. And they were like, how dare she? And I was like, hello, Melania. Like, what are you Jesus talking about? This is what Melania wore? Uh, you know, no, this was Jill, ba- Jill Biden. You got to see this picture. She looks fantastic. Um, Good for her. In any case, it was like sort of, and then they went crazy on her. It's it's nutty. It's, I did not see that. It's a nutty, like, I was like, really, you need to move along. And by the way, I you know, the only thing that offended me about Melania, uh, Trump is when she wore that jacket that was so obnoxious. Um, and, she did not uh, well, she every, A lot of stuff offended me. Her clothing. I don't know. Let me go out on a limb here. Go Worst on. first lady in history. It's just like similar yeah. to George Conway. You stick her next to their partner and she seems more likable or less unlikable. Yeah. Worst first lady in history. I, I agree. But I think her clothes, I didn't care what she wore. I don't care if she looks like, you know, whatever she wants to look like. She can wear whatever she wants. The jacket bugged me. Most of her tenure bugged me. But I don't, this this Republican outreach, this, this bill really, these bills really are hard for Republicans to slap back at. We'll see. Um, if they can oh, they make, will. make hay with this woke woke uh, woke companies and Jill Biden looks like looks like a tramp kind of thing, but I don't think it holds. And trans, I think they got to go for some better stuff than that. I don't think it sticks. I don't think people like, people want to get back that. to work. It seems like a lame argument. Yeah, people want to get back to work. All right, Scott, let's go on a quick break. We'll be back uh, to talk about Facebook data leaks and a friend of Pivot on cancel culture, your favorite topic. Gosh, here we go. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. 
Real Traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Okay, we're back with our second big story. Half a billion Facebook user information has been posted on a hacking website. This is from a previous uh, hack that happened uh, several years ago, according to cybersecurity experts, but it's now resurfacing. There are records including names, phone numbers, birthdays, location, more than 32 million accounts in the United States, 11 million in the United Kingdom, and 6 million in India. Facebook spoke, people said, is old information they had fixed in August 2019. Um, but did not say if they had notified users at the time. Meanwhile, the company's stock is at an all-time high. The stock has risen 120% since the end of 2019. So through these very difficult times, people, the investors keep going for it. Um, and this breach is not a breach. It's ha- it happened, just to make it clear to people. But it's just this resurfacing in these dark parts of the web for sale and things like that. Um, again, just it's just another reminder that you give a lot of information to Facebook and they grab a lot. Um, Scott, what do you think? I don't know. Does anyone care anymore? I, it, it just, uh, well, you can't trust Facebook. Yeah. I mean, okay. They take your data. They don't protect it. If there's a hack, they will minimize. I mean, it's like add this to the list of, oh, advertiser, you're getting a billion video impressions and it's worth what you're paying. Oh, just kidding. You're not getting a fraction of that, but we're not going to refund you. I, it just, it, the, Facebook has taken a, it, Facebook is very smart. And like, if we just keep abusing data sets and hiring more lobbyists such that we don't actually get in trouble other than fines, which we can afford to pay, and we flood the zone with inf- misinformation and information, and we keep and we keep violating people's trust, then we can get away with it. We're now in a shareholder-driven economy where the shareholder class has overrun government, and as long as the stock keeps going up. So tell me why it's unscathed. Tell, explain for the people why the stock remains unscathed. Because this is something you talked about, that the stock was going to be higher. Um, I said the stock market was going to boom, and it's doing that right now mm-hmm. um, overall. Uh, what do you, why do you think the stock remains unscathed? Explain for Well, people. specifically, we made a prediction when the stock was at 160 mm-hmm. 18 months ago that it would hit 250. Yeah. And then I got Fantastic. a ton of shit for owning it, and people yeah. said, you're a hypocrite, and there was some yeah. legitimacy to that. And so I sold my stock, and now the stock's over 300. It's an amazing business. The bottom line is the best business model in the world is being an unregulated monopoly. They have fantastic engineers. They essentially are now... 
uh, two thirds of all social media is on one platform. They anybody they have they massively abuse their monopoly power. Anyone that's a threat to them, they put out of business. Uh, it's a complicated business, so they're able to show up and confuse lawmakers. They now spend more on lobbying than big tech does in any industry in history. And they've deployed fantastic lipstick on cancer with very charming executives to run around and talk about gender balance and personal loss to to totally delay and obfuscate the damage they continue. It's an amazing business. Unregulated monopolies are the best businesses in the world. And this is a company that's doing, you know, has 90 or 95% gross margins and can tell you, can if you're an advertiser selling, if you're a Geico, they can mm-hmm. say, we can identify households in New Jersey where someone just turned 16 and then using other assets, we can track them around the digital world and just keep running Geico ads and, and then do lookalikes on that. I mean, it's just an amazing business, an amazing product. What's interesting is that Mark Zuckerberg feels like, you know, MBS right now or the kingdom of Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia, where they're mm-hmm. desperately trying to diversify away from one platform, oil versus data, and get into other businesses. Their weak point, their weak point, and people don't see this yet, but it's really playing out with Apple is that Facebook recognizes they're not a they're not an operating system as we they'd like to think they're an yeah. app and as yeah. long as that app has to go on someone else's rails be it Android or iOS they're vulnerable and yeah. so what is Facebook doing under the radar that almost no one is talking about tell me they have 10,000 people developing a hardware device yeah they've tried it Be- bad well, bad 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 i know but 10,000 people. Yeah. So they realize, and this is one of the key attributes of any company that wants to be a trillion dollars, you mm-hmm. have to be vertical. And at the you end do. of the day, and this is Netflix's challenge right now. This is Disney's challenge. At the end of the day, if there's someone in front of you who is the guardian or the gatekeeper or the distribution, you are vulnerable. And Mark Zuckerberg wakes up every morning and says, that God damn it, that Tim Cook, and yeah. there's nothing he can do about it yeah. because Tim Cook owns the rails. And so essentially, Facebook is trying to build the biggest railroad, and it's the biggest railroad history and project. They have 10,000 people trying to figure out whether it's an AR or a VR headset. Yeah. I, they could be working on a phone. So let's Who knows? assess the things they've done. They bought they bought Oculus and sort of been mm-hmm. quiet off to the side. And I, I think that's mm-hmm. not coming soon for people. It's just the mm-hmm. gla- even the glasses. And, you know, Apple's going to move heavily into AR, too. This this mm-hmm. is where they do clash. Uh, Cook was they like, portal. I they, they Cook was saying we're not competitors, but they will be when AR. They all say exists. they're not competitors. Well, I know, but right now they're not in the social media business. And so mm-hmm. um, he didn't say he wasn't competitors with Amazon and content mm-hmm. or Spotify. Or I, I, it, they, they don't have as many points of conflict except that they have to live together, essentially. So mm-hmm. what would they, how do you beat an Apple or a Google in the phone business? They haven't been, a, I have a Facebook home still. I, still, I have it in a drawer somewhere. Um, and Microsoft couldn't do it. So what do they? What what, what way do they get in from a device point of view? Headsets out- are just not that, happening yet. That's an outstanding question. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I'm thinking whose handset division could they buy? They couldn't buy Samsung's handset division. No. That's too expensive. Samsung wouldn't sell it. I don't think. I, I think people don't want to wear. I think. I don't. I think people don't want to wear a VR and AR. That takes the virginity rate down from twenty-seven percent, or takes it up to fifty percent when all right. young men start wearing headsets. Right. So I just no wearable has the only wearable that has ever worked is the Apple Watch, and that's because they put billions behind it. Yes. Wearables are one of the biggest technology head fake and head fakes of the last ten years. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they are going to be in the phone business, the smart speaker business. They tried Portal, They're but way they have behind ten thousand speaker. Way behind, but they way have ten thousand people working on it. No, uh, but so someone what gave me one, and I actually threw it out. 
one of their portals. I was like, no way am I putting this in my near yeah, my Yeah, don't plug I'm it not, in. I'm not taking it out of the it's box. It's supposedly a good product too. Well, yeah. I just, I hardly want the Amazon one in there or the Apple, and Apple's sort of gotten out of the business. But so what, where do they go though? What did they do? They have, a, it's a very difficult, the phone from from Facebook is probably the least appealing thing to many, many people unless they buy some other phone maker. I don't, I don't know because there's only yeah. so many entry points unless there's something we think of. There's, there's wearables, which it feels like that's where they have the most progress or traction. Mm-hmm. So that it feels, and that's what they've published or publicly said they're going after. Um, but that to, to your point and my point, that just so far has been a big thud. There's the gaming industry as a portal, uh, but that's crowded. Yep. Smart speakers. Amazon has more open job listings in their voice group now than Google has across their entire company. Amazon's making an unparalleled investment in voice, which I think is kind of the technology of the next decade. Right. And then, so is it is it interface with cars? You don't see face. Yeah, I don't see Facebook. Too many competitors there. Is it a phone? If Google can't figure out a phone, can Facebook? And by yeah. the way, the Pixel is supposed to be a great product. It and is still a great couldn't. Product. Yeah. They still couldn't get it right. So I don't, the honest answer is Here's I don't thing. know. They're not good in any industry they have to compete in or have to be innovative in. Sorry, they just don't. That's they, can, yeah. they can buy and they can copy like they just did the other day again with uh, another thing. They, what mm-hmm. did they borrow borrow from, from Clubhouse or whatever? They just can't do anything innovative. I just don't know what, how they can get to consumers in a, in a similar way. And then- you know, face the the barrage of criticism if they if they have a device. Why would you trust a Facebook device at this point? Especially, let's getting back to the data. I just there is nothing I would put on a on a Facebook account. People I don't like, I would put on it. I guess mm-hmm. I don't know. When I see these data, even though this is an old one, just more just the, the amount of information they have. And the ability, mm-hmm. and then, and then you, when you add on the disinformation stuff and misinformation stuff on top of it, it just gets like, no, thank you. Like, you know, I don't know. I, it's going to be hard. I think it's, and I agree. It's at its all time high. If you want to get to people this way, and if this system stays in place of social media, by all means, buy Facebook. I just, I don't know. I have a feeling like they've got a lot of, like, the next five years is going to be a lot harder for Facebook than the last five years. I, I, I think you're right. I think Facebook is, um, is the most vulnerable of all of them um, uh, because they don't control the end consumer experience um, and they have the most people gunning for them. And they have Um, to go into competitive, really competitive markets unless they can come up with Again, you know, you look at someone like Microsoft, which wasn't considered innovative and they've done a great job. If they stay in social media and do something innovative, they certainly can shift around their fortunes the way Microsoft did. But I don't know. I just feel like, I think, look, if you're an investor, you should buy it because it's going up. And if you're an advertiser, you have no choice. but to go to Facebook. I mean, you really, you have limited choice Um, and it's all problematic everywhere you go. And it's, I suppose it's the least problematic. It's the best choice for you. And so every single person who advertises on Facebook says, we have no choice. We hate them. We have no choice. That is- Or Google. Yeah, they (laughs) they just don't feel like they have any choice. Anyway, this is a fascinating area. Nonetheless, the stock is up. Do you feel bad about selling it? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I- I'd rather have I'd rather have held on to stocks that have gone up, but yeah. no, I uh, you know it's like when people say Scott, you can't criticize Amazon or, yeah. or Apple. I'm like, you know, I think they're net goods for the world. I'm comfortable. I'm a capitalist. I'm comfortable owning them. Facebook really bothered me. I think Facebook is a net negative for society, so I kind of gave in to my better angels and sold that stock, no, and I, I really don't regret it. I All right, well, it. we're going to move on. Did you notice how Amazon kind of apologized for its P tweets? <laughs> 
Okay, like, oh, did it? I didn't yeah, see that. What they did. say? We're so sorry. There is peeing going on. We we apologize to the congressman who raised the issue. People are urinating in the well, trucks. Like, so, when they did it, I was like, oh my god! Cue the fifty reporters who are going to have pictures of bags of pee and and de- 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 excrement, and that I was sort of like, don't bring don't up. Don't we the all end up peeing in a bag? Isn't that where we're all headed? Oh my god! What is going on? You just bought a dog. You believe in life enough Leia. to have a dog? Oh my god! This Seven, thing is the so dogs cute. live seventeen no years. Sleep. Scott, so you're going to be around at least that long. For goodness' sake, so. people who buy dogs do not believe in the end of life. I'm sorry. I'm saying. Anyway, let's bring in our friend of Pivot. joined by John McWhorter. He is a professor of linguistics at Columbia and the host of the podcast Lexicon Valley and a contributing editor at The Atlantic. John, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we have a lot to talk about. We've seen a lot of recent, oh, cancel culture never seems to go away. Uh, some people are calling it consequence culture, the uh, uh, opposite side. How do you view s- what's happening right now? There's the Matt Gates controversy versus Condé Nast and the uh, and the firing of the Teen Vogue editor. There's these Republicans saying that corporations who are against voter restriction laws uh, are, are part of woke culture or woke uh, corporations. So give us a lay of the land right now in the cancel culture debate. Well, I think that... There is a tendency, especially from the left, to say that objections to cancel culture are really just well-fed, obnoxious people who Mm -hmm. are pushing back against being held responsible for undeniably questionable or nasty behavior. I think more is going on than that. We've reached a point where we're calling something cancel culture because a critical mass of, I think, reasonable people are beginning to think that an awful lot of figures are being punished Mm -hmm. for things that it's not clear they deserve to be punished for. So, for example, you know, Matt Gatz is one thing. You know, Mm -hmm. it would seem that there are certainly some things that we might need to be concerned about in terms of his conduct. Mm -hmm. But when you see professors being dismissed or suspended for what wouldn't have been considered offensive in any way just a year before, when you're seeing people being fired from their jobs for things that they tweeted 10 years ago, often at a different stage of their lives, something different is going on where we've gone from criticizing people, basically policing the culture in the way that any healthy culture does, to spraying for heresy. The idea being that if you have a certain stink on you, you are to be dismissed from Mm -hmm. polite society. And where do you draw the line? Of course, that's the issue. But I think that we've gone way over it. And that's what has gotten this labeled something called cancel culture among Mm -hmm. people who feel like something unnecessary and harmful is going on. All right. What about the corporations? Uh, you know, this is uh, the uh, uh, Georgia Senator uh, Con- uh, Governor uh, Brian Kemp uh, said that the corporations talking about voter restriction laws in Georgia were part of woke culture. Can't we won't be cancel cultured in our legislation? You used to just debate things, and then people were on one side or the other. And if corporations mm-hmm. didn't agree with you, that was fine. Why are mm-hmm. they using? Because it feels like they're using the word like fake news, which got out of hand. In that regard, it was everything was fake news when it's not. Yeah, it's inevitable that terms like this are going to overgeneralize and start being used as weapons by people who don't understand that there really might be an issue at stake, such as the issue with voting laws. Or another example of that is playing the race card. Mm -hmm. There is a such thing as bringing race into something where it really has no business, no real relationship. And you could say that, yes, racism exists, but why did you have to make this racial? Very Mm -hmm. quickly, though, 
Just playing the race card became to bring race up at all, even when it was relevant and often when it was really the only thing relevant. That's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. so that's also happening with cancel culture, where it's often people on the right or even from the middle who call it cancel culture whenever anybody on the left has anything to say about what they're doing at all. Mm -hmm. We we can't avoid that, unfortunately, and we're going to have to come up with maybe a new term um, after a while. But the phenomenon itself, I think, is genuine. There is a such thing as undue, overzealous cancellation, even if people are going to start using the term to refer to things that don't deserve Normal that things. Like, corporations yeah. can be for or against these voting. They used to do it all the time. Yeah, that was that was considered quite normal. Now, one way to push back, if you don't like the way it goes, is to give it that label. Yeah. Scott? Uh, f- uh, nice to meet you, Professor. Um, you too. So, I, 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 really, uh, I really appreciate, and you, it, it struck a chord when you were saying, there is a difference between being accused of trafficking a 17-year-old and a 17-year-old putting out racist tweets, uh, it, there's just a big difference. And we mm-hmm. seem to have, I don't know, because we're busy, just grouped it all into one. It's almost dangerous that we have one term to describe all of this because there are sh- not even shades of gray. They're shades of just entirely different situations. Mm-hmm. I, I've always thought, and I, I want to hear your view, that there's two underlying, the two things driving this. The first is a total lack of trust in our institutions. We used to say, all right, there are civil and criminal procedures for when people do something terrible and that we trust those institutions to either fire that person or put that person in prison or fine them. And we've just lost trust in those institutions. So we, we've moved to new institutions, whether it's Twitter or media, to try and police ourselves. And the second is that income inequality has become so severe that this is a method of going after the, what I'll call the white patriarchy or the establishment. Uh, your thoughts on those two things being kind of the underlying fuel for cancel culture, for lack of a better term? You know, I think that those things are relevant to this, but in mm-hmm. a way, I'm a little less sophisticated about it than mm-hmm. you are. I think that there's some more basal impulses going on here. I think that mm-hmm. a lot of this is it's a religion in every single way. An anthropologist would notice this as a religion growing. And what the religion is, and it's not that wokeness is a religion, it's this particular development since about June of last year. It's a religion where what a person gets out of it is that you feel good about yourself by showing that you know that there are inequalities, and especially ones that are based on race. I think an awful lot of people really get off on showing that they understand what systemic racism is. And that's a good thing in some ways, but I think that it's gone overboard where people are competing to show how good they are. And the the term for this is, of course, virtue Virtue signaling. signaling, And it could even be just, you know, somebody showing off that they have a bigger car than someone else. This is a natural human impulse. I think quite mundanely that part of the reason we're talking about it now is because of the pandemic and the fact Mm -hmm. that starting about a year ago, all of us were bored and lonely and indoors. And I think that all of this gives Mm -hmm. people a sense of togetherness. I don't think this would have happened if there hadn't been a pandemic. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what it is. It's people feeling good about themselves. And then this is even harder for me to say, because when I say that, I'm talking mostly about white people. But when I talk about black people, I have to say that a lot of it is because one way to feel like you matter is to play the role of a victim beyond what reality actually specifies. And that's not to say that there aren't hideous things that happen to people. I need Mm -hmm. not mention George Floyd. But I think all of us deep down understand that there's a certain amount of exaggeration that happens, and that has really magnified over the past year. 
Any human being has times when they're insecure and they seek to feel significant. There are all sorts of ways that we can assuage that. One way that a black person can is by playing this victim role. And mm -hmm. we're encouraged to do it. And it plays into white people who are waiting to be the people who acknowledge your pain. And so there ends up being a kind of a dance. And I think that's what we're in when it comes to the racial aspect of this. Does it end up? Uh, oh, does it end up undermining our efforts, though, to have a more just world? Yeah. When we end up taking agency away from women or black people and assume that anytime someone accuses something, someone of someone else or is offended, it means they're right and it means they're a survivor, as opposed to having some sort of construct or organization to vet these things, it just feels as if we've decided that one group are always the perpetrators and one group are always the victim, and that's who accuses the other first, isn't it? Doesn't it, don't, aren't we shooting ourselves in the foot here to a certain yes. extent? Yes, <laughs> I think that all of this is so brutally condescending to, for example, black people. I mm -hmm. am dismayed at what children we are treated as, as the result of this etiquette that we develop. And unfortunately, a lot of black people aren't in a position to see it. There's mm -hmm. a sense that somehow the rules are supposed to be different for us because of our history, but that can be taken too far. And yeah, I think that the whole thesis of, say, a book like White Fragility is infantilizing of people. Not to mention that it makes white people into devils in a way that's vastly oversimplified, despite the nastiness of history. So yeah, it creates a really hostile, not to mention just mendacious situation between all of us. All of us are doing this weird minuet where none of us really believe anything that we're saying, and we're told that this is somehow progress. It's scary, really. So let me let me push back on both of you, actually, because there is a line. I want you to draw the line between what is cancel culture and what is actual accountability, because most of the damage does come come from certain groups that, you know what I mean? Most of, I mean, mm -hmm. as a gay person, I, I, I don't want to be a victim, but I can tell you, I just had to adopt my own child again, mm -hmm. you know, in a really ridiculous way. And mm -hmm. so it, it, at some point groups, whatever group you have to be part of, it's like enough. Why do I have, like, there is a feeling of being not victimized, but like that you can't, um, you know, when I heard Brian Kemp do that, I was like, you're kidding me. Like corporations should be a, like, you're, you're taking this term, which you're right. The, the woman in, uh, at Condé Nast, it feels a little much. It seems like overkill kind of thing. But in some cases, it's not overkill. It's accountability for behaviors. And so how do you, where is the line that you think through these things of what should be used? Just the, again, it reminds me a lot of fake news in that it's overused Mm -hmm. you know, all the time. Like, I can't, I'm so tired of people going, oh, fake news. I'm like, stop, please stop, because it's not fake news. It's actually right. good news. Exactly. Yeah, these are, you know, the line is not a line. We're talking about something that shades from one thing mm -hmm. into another. But I think there are cases where you don't even have to wonder. So, for example, let's say there's a, a white male law professor, and he has on one of his exams that's it's, there's a question about employment discrimination. Mm -hmm. And in the question that he gives, or he gives the information necessary to decide on this case in the exam, he mm -hmm. writes N and then five asterisks. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't actually write the word that was in the document, right. but he writes that so you know what it is. And a group of Black students mm 
mm-hmm. decide that that hurts them, even to see it written there like that. Right. And one of them claims to have had heart palpitations to see that on the piece of paper. Right. And they make it so that this man can no longer work on campus mm-hmm. and is taken away from all of his administrative duties. And that that softened a little bit because this hits social media, but still, they're still trying to make his life a living hell. Mm-hmm. That's one where I would say that it's not Black people saying, we've had enough. Right. That is Black people being encouraged to put on a certain kind of act. And the sad thing is that that story, if that were 10 years ago, it would be an outlier. Mm-hmm. But since last summer, that sort of thing has been happening all the time. I have unwittingly become, with my sparring partner on Blogging Heads, Glenn Lowry, kind of a clearinghouse for these things. I'm not Mm -hmm. completely sure why it's now thought that anything like this that happens, you're supposed to send John McWhorter an email. But that is what happens. And the volume of it is crushing, and it shows that there's something that's gone off the rails, despite, Kara, what you're saying, which is that there are times when something real has happened. And it can Mm -hmm. even create a certain oversensitivity. I'm not saying that you were, but that's where we were, say, last year. But right. something weird has happened since last summer. All right. So what's the solution to, to moving it back to normalcy where there is certain things that do get canceled unfairly and the other is you deserve exactly what you're getting? I mean, what's the reason for it getting worse? Is it is it Twitter? Is it the ability of people, everybody to speak in a blog or on Clubhouse or wherever? Is there any way to turn that back um, so that people do feel like their voices right. are being heard? Because some of it is about not being heard, I think. Yeah. It's not victimization. It's not being heard. Yeah, I think it's about honesty, really, because what creates this is not only the pandemic, but social media as it's existed Mm -hmm. for about the past 10 years. And what scares a lot of people is being called dirty names on Twitter. That can Mm -hmm. be genuinely chilling. And it's at the point where this may be a quixotic hope, but I think a lot of people are going to need to start standing up to that and enduring being called names by people when they know that they don't deserve to be called that name Mm -hmm. and just to let it blow over and let a certain kind of person see, and I'm not talking about only black people, I'm talking about all the people who participate Mm -hmm. in this kind of witch hunting, Mm -hmm. see that they don't have the power that they started to have roughly last summer, that you can't get anything you want by calling somebody a racist or something else is loudly and cleverly on social media. Mm-hmm. If people don't start standing up to it, then there's no reason why this sort of hyper-woke person is going to change their behavior. We just need more honesty, I think. Oh, my God. I love this guy. <laughs> I love this one. guy. I, I got to be honest. I got to be honest, Professor. For, for having all my speakers I, I, we, on Sway. Kara had Tim Cook on his on her other <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Um, we, you are you're still number two, but you're close to. You're literally just <laughs> behind Tim Cook. I'll so, take that. The <laughs> uh, question I have is: you're at you're at Columbia, I'm at NYU. Mm-hmm. Don't we play a big role in this? And that is uh, somewhere between one and four percent of our faculty identify as conservative. And it seems to me that we have decided our job is to graduate wokesters when we should be graduating warriors. And what I mean mm-hmm. by warriors is the people that can respect and hold two contradictory thoughts in their brain, discuss them. And then figure out, all right, gay rights are important. The laws that Kara has to endure are total bullshit, and we become more effective at doing away or putting in place the right laws. Aren't aren't we part of the problem? I have seen a serious uptick. I've had I've used the term, of course, I'm very good at turning all this back to me. I've used the term on a Zoom class. Mm-hmm. That I said that Facebook's testicles haven't descended or something. And I had someone reach out to me. He says three times a week on this show, but okay. But I had a student reach out to me saying the- this is an elective over Zoom. I don't feel safe around you. 
And I don't know how to respond to that. I'm like, okay, well, tell me, help me understand why you don't feel safe over Zoom when I use a term like that. And I appreciate mm-hmm. it. I probably shouldn't use terms that, rep- that indicate genitalia because it's probably, it's just, I can be effective without doing that. Mm-hmm. But it feels like we have decided that our collective job as universities is to produce wokesters. And aren't we doing a disservice to the dialogue? Yes, um, that is definitely true. I don't think it was true 30 years ago when there was all that hand-wringing about tenured radicals. I thought right. then that a fringe of people who were actually putting forth some interesting ideas were getting a bad rap. But something really has happened once again. And yeah, I do feel that um, t- there are a great many professors who very innocently think that they're teaching students truth when they're actually teaching students how to be leftists. I think a lot of them really don't understand that the leftist catechism is not the truth because mm-hmm. they only spend time with each other. They don't have any reason to think out of the box. But I myself try very hard. Most people don't know that I don't teach this stuff at, at Columbia. I'm a linguistics mm-hmm. professor. I teach mm-hmm. them about verbs, etc. Mm-hmm. But where societal issues do come in, I try very hard to go down the middle. And I've actually frustrated some students who know about my kind of other life where I'm Mm -hmm. the quote-unquote contrarian about race, where they're waiting for me to play that role. And I tell them, no, no, my job is to teach you guys to think and to teach you guys to figure out where you come down on something. I'm not Mm going to preach what I wrote in The Atlantic last week in this class. You can read it. You can bring it up, but that's not what I'm going to do here. Mm -hmm. And um, in general, yeah, I think that it would be nice to see universities change on that score. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, though. I think mm-hmm. that the epicenter of this way of thinking, unfortunately, has been the university, and I think it's going to be the last place to change. But, Scott, don't you get the feeling that the faculty are further to the left than students? My sense is that there are some <sighs> students who are the but most of the students understand that there is a larger truth than what's in you know Mother Jones and the nation. I'm less worried about the students than about <laughs> the faculty. That's right, a great again, I'm going to push back on you two agree- in violent agreement with each other. You know, <laughs> you have someone like um, Josh Hawley. Mm-hmm. I'm so canceled. He had plenty of time to talk to people. One of the things I always say is the people who talk about how they've been canceled never shut the fuck up, really, <laughs> honestly. And they have lots of opportunities to talk. And again, they're abusing this term in the uh, on the other side, rather. And there's a whole, like, industry of anti-cancel culture people that exhaust me, often privileged people, often people with lots of platforms, uh, often white. Um, and, and, and it feels like they, you know, it's, if you say something offensive and people are offended too bad, that's my feeling on a lot of these stuff. So how do you push like on that? Like Josh Hall, give us, give me an example of how you look at something like that. Do we for a second think he has been canceled, even though he claims it and then just whines and, 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 you know, gnashes his teeth about it. I find it that just as offensive in terms of, you know, how dare you question my idiotic statements. (laughs) We're so intermediate on that right now. I mean, the linguist in me says that words, meanings change, and words like that change quickly. When he shakes his fist and says, I'm being canceled, Mm -hmm. you know, loudly where everybody can see it and Mm -hmm. books, et cetera, what he means is- books, but books, cable, He's online, the media. Right. Yeah. He's not being canceled at all. What he means is I'm being criticized unfairly, Mm -hmm. that people are wishing I wouldn't say things that I should not be being criticized for. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether he actually thinks he's being muzzled in any particular way. He knows that that word hits a certain button. But yeah, obviously, he can say anything he wants and be heard by everybody on earth. He's not being canceled in any sense. But he means there those people go again, Mm -hmm. kind of the way people use playing the race card to mean mentioning racism at all. 
Yeah. It's sloppy usage and maybe manipulative yeah. in that if he says cancel, he knows it whips up his base. That's sure. the intermediate so, place. Again, how do it. we get to a point? Because because sometimes you just say, maybe you're just, someone was saying that to me the other day. They were like, um, they're, they're being canceled. I said, no, I'm just calling them an asshole. That's it. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. like the end of it. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> so how do you get back to a civil conversation where everybody's not either offended or they can't deal with the fact that they're offensive and they're getting feedback, which is what it used to be called back in the day. So <laughs> yeah. how do you get to, to a center point of that? What do you think? You're a linguistics professor. How mm-hmm. does it sort itself out? This is how this needs to be sorted out. There's a certain kind of person these days, generally under 40, in my experience, mm-hmm. who is part of a genuine desire to cancel certain people, mm-hmm. where the new idea is that you don't just get called an asshole, which is which is fine. You know, you, it used to be you would be called an asshole in very creative ways. I have, you know, suffered that regularly for 25 mm-hmm. years. But now the idea is that it's not only that you call somebody an asshole, but you try to strip them of mm-hmm. their epaulets in some way. They have to be sanctioned. Or their livelihood. Or their their livelihood. The idea is that if you say something that's offensive, not not only we're going to make fun of you, but we're going to we're going to destroy your life to some mm-hmm. extent. That assumption is unjust, and we need a few good humans to stand up and start questioning it and start having a kind of an I am Spartacus ending mm-hmm. to the movie. In which case, some people will deserve to be canceled, of course, but yeah. I think we should go back to just being abusive as mm-hmm. opposed to the idea that if you don't like so, what somebody said, they abusive. should be eliminated. We can do that. We yeah. can do that. We yeah. can do that. Now, in like some cases, though, in cases of sexual harassment, like with Matt Gates and many others, there's a lot of like the Charlie Roses, the uh, Harvey Weinsteins. There's actual like, look at that. What, and then, of course, they some of them were claiming cancel culture. And I was like, mm-hmm. you shouldn't have grabbed the intern, I guess. Those are actual I, crimes, though, no? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. But some of them aren't crimes. Some of them are just like c- certain things people say that mm-hmm. are problematic. What do we do if people on television, like there's been a million of those sort of edge cases, mm-hmm. and then it unveils like a lot of behaviors, like which mm-hmm. I'm sure is going to happen with Matt Gates. Like there's there's going to be a lot, you know, as mm-hmm. they pull back the... His filthy covers. Societal mores change. Yeah. And sometimes it's messy. Not every case is going to be perfect. But, you know, we are in a society where the sorts of things that Charlie Rose thought of as perfectly normal Mm -hmm. are now considered utterly beyond the pale. Mm -hmm. And he lost his job for it. And you can put yourself in his head and imagine that he feels like too much happened to him for something that he thought of as so minor. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, no, he, we have to classify that as a dinosaur. I think that the analogy between Me Too starting circa 2016 mm-hmm. and cancel culture starting in June 2020 is a little off because – for example, I think Al Franken was a bit much, and I mm-hmm. think I'm not I'm not alone no, in that. You're not. But for the most part, with the Me Too cases, I always thought, yeah, this is how it needs mm-hmm. to be. It, it's time to change that. It's just that we're modeling upon that what really doesn't seem to many reasonable people to be a constructive approach to running a society, which is that you fire somebody, you fire a white man for saying that it would be reverse racism for him as the head curator of the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art to no longer consider white artists for the collection. He says, I'm going to spread out and look at a more diverse range of artists, but I'm not going to completely disregard white artists because that would be reverse racism. He was made to resign just for saying the word reverse racism. There's a difference between Charlie Rose and that yeah, man. Fair. That's the thing, that's the kind of thing that worries me. In some ways, I feel like a lot of, in that case, he's probably paying for years of ignoring. 
right? I can see that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these years and years of making the exact choices that he, you know, it's, you're paying something else for anything. All right. uh, I have a last question. Is there another word? Can we stop using this word? It's like fake news. I hate it. Cancel culture. Yeah. Do you have another word, Mr. Mm, Uh, Professor of Linguistics? And just make (laughs) one up. Yeah. Um, Hmm. That's hard on the fly, but instead of it being cancel culture, we could say, well, we, we could say that if you feel that you shouldn't be criticized like this, then you could say that you are being persecuted by what you could call a member of the elect. <laughs> That's what I thought I was oh. going to title my next book, but I don't think it's going to be called that. Remember. But it's this th- these, these Calvinists. It's these people who Calvinists. have elected themselves to chase certain people out of society without most people even agreeing with what they're doing. So the idea is, you know, I've been, I'm, I've been, I've run into some elect people, you know, I'm being elected or something like that. That's literally the way I think of it because cancel culture, you're right, doesn't make sense the way it's being used and it's being used manipulatively. I think people should have a right to say, I don't feel that I deserve this criticism, even if they're wrong. But yeah, it's awkward for them to say it's cancel culture. This outcome probably is not the criticism necessarily. Right. The outcome. outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, last question. I I want to go more meta. So you strike me as a very thoughtful person. You also teach philosophy. I do. Do you have any thoughts about where we are as a society and what are really kind of the big existential threats in our society right now as Americans? Yeah. um, Our problem right now is that a small group of people Mm -hmm. based on a very interesting idea called critical race theory are under the genuine impression that they have found the truth. So you teach a philosophy class, and you're going to start with Plato, Mm -hmm. and you're going to drag the students through Kant, Mm -hmm. and you're going to get up to John (laughs) Rawls, et cetera, Mm -hmm. and nobody knows what the truth is. Nobody can tell you what justice is. The end of Mm -hmm. a good philosophy class is that you teach the students that it was all for nothing. Mm -hmm. It's an unending series of questions. The CRT people, the people who are getting people fired, et cetera, these days, think that they have found what justice is. All these other people didn't quite get it. Kant didn't quite get it. But some law professors figured it out a few decades ago. I find that arrogant on my bad days. But on most days, I just find it very naive. And I think it's time for us to start telling people like that. Your take on what truth and justice is is interesting. It's challenging. It's worth being at the table. But you haven't figured it all out. And we can't rule our society based on the tenets of your beliefs. I don't think most people, if it were put that way to them, would have a real answer. And then we could move on to the more constructive mess that real life is supposed to be. Can you just talk a little bit about the manifestation of CRT thinking and why you think it's a negative? Because I don't think most people are familiar with it. Critical race theory is an idea. Well, there are various ideas in it, but Mm -hmm. one of the main ones that's informing what's going on today is that we are a society in which there are whites Mm-hmm. Who are on top? Who's stru- who cause us? Who are the source of a structural racism that's embedded in all structures of society, and that this makes non-white people quintessentially victims. We are subalterns. The definition of being a black person is living within the constructs of all of this white supremacy by which we are oppressed by whites. Our identity must be against that of this white oppression and contempt and disregard. And so if that's the way society is, and you know, 
You could make an argument that that is the way it works. That's not crazy. But Mm -hmm. the imperative based on that Mm -hmm. is that we must battle power differentials as the central focus of our being. Intellectual activity has to be about battling power differentials. Your art has to be about that. The way you talk has to be about that. Legal theory has to be centered upon that. Notice Mm -hmm. today the whole idea that your local bakery puts out a statement about George Floyd. And you're thinking, well, what does one thing have to do with another? It's because of this idea that we must be committed to overturning power differentials. Now, I think anybody would say that power differentials are a major problem, but the hyper-focus, the laser focus on it that we're being taught is necessary, that you must do the work, that if you're white, you will always have this white privilege that stains you like original sin. All of that is based on originally this critical race theory idea. And it's an interesting idea, but you don't run a society upon the basis of such a narrow conception of what it is to act as a person. Battling power differentials alone is not what most of us would think of as the focus of any worthwhile existence. There are some people who will live that way, but Mm -hmm. a lot of the rest of us have other things to do as well. That's the problem that we're faced with these days. It's a very narrow and punitive ideology that we're being told we're supposed to live under. And at the same time, when someone like Donald Trump saying nonsense, it creates a it, it adds the layer of white supremacy onto it. Like that, that it's yeah. it's being pushed as completely ridiculous by people who are problematic mm-hmm. at the very least in their attitudes towards people of yeah, color. Because they're using critical race theory as a stand-in for basically anything they don't want to hear, which is right. not what the theory was yeah. supposed to be. Once mm-hmm. again, the, the term well, there it's not the term evolving. It's mm-hmm. ignorant people misusing it or using it to evil ends. Yes, that was very disappointing to see. Because I mean it, the critical race theory is not ridiculous in itself. It's just what's being done with it these days. And I'm questioning a certain aspect of it. And then you have people on the right who are saying, stop talking about race, stop talking about identity, get rid of this critical race theory. That's completely not right. what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. All right. This is fascinating. I'm sure we'll it get is. lots of uh, canceling for it. <laughs> it's all right. It's fine. We'll take it. We can take it. We can take it. Anyway, uh, Professor McCoy, I am thank Spartacus. Are you no, Spartacus? Oh are you Spartacus? Kara? No. Kara? No. I'm, I'm still like... Those assholes. (laughs) Those assholes in Georgia calling more corporations can go fuck themselves. Don't pass bad laws if you don't want. There's the linguist in you coming out. (laughs) Bad laws. If you want to pass bad laws, it makes the MLB pull out of Georgia too friggin' bad for you. It's called, I don't know, consequence. Uh, You know, the other word is consequence culture, uh, which you've heard, of course. I'm going to keep that. Keep that. No, but I think it's Roxanne Gay. She's consequence culture. So, but it's as if there's only two choices and there's more than two. That's really the whole point. That's what I think. It's complex. It's complex culture is what it is we got going on here. Darn it. Um, Anyway, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming. And Scott is all smiling right now. Thank you, Professor. Thank you, folks. Made my day. (laughs) All right, Scott. One more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Are you happy right now? You got your, your cancel culture friend now? Uh, I I thought that guy was fantastic. He is. He's great. Like to and bring I, him lots I, of points I'm, of view I'm on the show. You, I'm telling you, that guy. I can tell you right now, gets an endless stream of shit from his colleagues at Columbia. I'm it's lucky he's he tenured. Yeah, he'll be fine. Okay, Scott, we'll be back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Support for Pivot comes from Hidden Layer. It seems like everywhere you look, industries are turning to generative AI. We talk about it a lot on this show. Businesses can generate more ideas, answers, connection solutions, and momentum. But at the same time, security teams are forced to slow down that progress so they can make sure AI adoption is safe and responsible. Hidden Layer's AI detection and response platform secures generative AI and large language models from malicious attacks, leaking of confidential information, and intellectual property theft. Hidden Layer helps you generate more by enabling seamless, secure generative AI. Here's how it works. AI detection and response protects businesses from potential attacks by monitoring and analyzing the inputs and outputs of their generative AI applications, blocking harmful transactions and alerting security teams in real time, allowing organizations to accelerate their AI adoption with speed. Customers in finance, technology, healthcare, and even the U.S. Department of Defense trust Hidden Layer to protect their AI today. Plus, Hidden Layer was named Most Innovative Startup at RSA, the most significant cybersecurity conference in the nation. With Hidden Layer, go from pause to possibilities. Generate more with Hidden Layer. Visit hiddenlayer.com slash pivot to learn more about Hidden Layer's AI detection and response solution. Okay, Scott, wins and fails. So what do you got? What do you got? There's so many. Um, it's funny, I was thinking about this morning and I had trouble coming up with them. Uh, so a fail, I think AOC coming out and saying that the stimulus or the uh, the infrastructure bill isn't big enough and then using the number 10 trillion, I think yeah. that undermines our efforts on the left mm-hmm. to get something done. I, th- I think that's yeah. a ridiculous number. I think it's uh, unrealistic and kind of paints us as progressives, as people that just want to that we, we've kind of lost touch with the economic reality of what it means to create that sort of inflationary pressure. We couldn't put $10 trillion to work responsibly. It just, so I, I love AOC. I think she's courageous. You know, yeah. I just think she's a gangster. I, I, I'm, I love AOC. And I heard her say that and I just cringed and I thought, oh, you're just doing us all a disservice. You're making it less likely we're going to get anything done when you say it's not big enough. It needs to be $10 trillion. Yeah. That's my loss. I think she's reacting against how much money we've spent on the military over the many years. I think that's where it's from. She talks about that quite a bit in her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and my win is I have a weird win. I've been I'm trying to wrap my head around crypto. China, China came up with their own cryptocurrency today, or announced a, uh, some sort of coin, or I'm not entirely sure what it is, which seems to be totally oxymoronic to the point of crypto that that it's a uh, there's no central. There's no central bank or no source of information that there's a lack of transparency, if you will. So the idea that the Chinese security apparatus would understand money flows seems just totally contrary to the notion of crypto. And then you have, like any digitization of any sector, you have power to a few currencies. And it feels like we're going to, I think, go to the yuan, go to the euro, go to the dollar, maybe the yen, but things like the real, I think other kind of tier two currencies are just going to get hammered. Mm-hmm. And then Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or um, uh, I mean, there's a couple others that might, um, um, uh, that are showing some promise that I'm trying to wrap my head around. But a long-winded way of saying, I think the winner here might be India. And the reason why is just as Joe Manchin is a swing vote, 
if there's a if there's this war lining up between American and Chinese currencies or cryptocurrencies, the swing vote will be India. And if India decides to embrace Bitcoin, you could see Bitcoin go to skyrocket if you see uh, India decide, no, this is the default currency. But it strikes me that India is shaping up to yeah. be the swing, vote, the swing vote and what will be the default currency, the default crypto. But I'm still trying to wrap my head around this shit. Do you understand this stuff? I can't do uh, my I, head A little bit. It. I need to study it more. I can't yeah. say I'm an expert. We I all have feel that way. dabbled around in it. Anyways. That was a weird. That was a weird win. That's all right. That's all right. I'm going to. Do you uh, have any? Yes, I do. The, I I was I was saying uh, the the stock market is going to continue to. That's not a prediction, but it's this. They they're all at all time highs. Facebook, Alphabet, Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just going up and up and up. All the whole stock market's going to go up, 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 up. The, uh, the, the, uh, the, but the weird thing about that though is I agree with you, but. The weird thing is that don't underestimate the market's ability to disarticulate itself in the real economy. Yes. I'm I'm a, I'm very confident the real economy, unless there's some sort of variant that shows up that can sneak around, sneak around um, the vaccine, which is why we all need to get vaccinated sooner rather than later. But other than that, the real economy is going to boom. But the stock market doesn't always reflect the real economy. You can see mm-hmm. the stock market starting to go, uh-oh, there's inflationary pressures, and then start to creep around the corner. Well, what happens when we run out of stimulus, what does the world look like? You could see a market where the GDP goes up 8%, consumer spending is at all-time high, and the market corrects 20%. Those could happen. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the fail is, I mean, win, it's kind of a win-fail for it was fail for Amazon. Uh, the National uh, Labor Relations Board just uh, said that uh, Amazon illegally retaliated against two of its most prominent internal critics when it fired them hmm. last year. These two employees, Emily Cunningham and Marin Costa, had pushed the company publicly to reduce its impact on climate change and address concerns of its warehouse workers. And so I'm reading from the New York Times story here. Um, and the agency said it would accuse um, the, the company of unfair labor practices. I think that's a really interesting case. We'll see. Um, have you heard anything? What's going on? Now? I thought we were going to have the results by now. Or have we? Uh, not yet. No, it's going to take a longer time. I had a I had a spaces with uh, Jason Del Rey, and he filled this in. It's, it could take a while, and then Amazon can either decide to go into negotiations with the union if they win, or they can they have to question they can question every vote. Every, each side can question every vote. So even if it's a couple thousand votes, it can take forever. And so they expect Amazon to push back on every single vote and hmm. think. You know what I mean, and so it can take like a very long time, apparently, uh, if if that's the case, if that if that happens, and so we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Could we'll they see, just we'll leave see. Bessemer? Uh, they could. That was another thing we talked about. They could leave Bessemer. Uh, they that would be a pretty tough thing to do because they just opened a new plant there and it's re- a new f- a fulfillment center. Um, so that would be hard because they've they've invested quite a lot of money there. But you never know. They pulled. You know, they they're, they're like so. That. On my way to this breeder yesterday, um, I was asking uh, uh, um, the driver. I said, mm-hmm. "What's going on in this area of Kentucky?" And he said, "It's booming because there's a new Amazon plant." And we mm-hmm. went by the. Kentucky, the Cincinnati, Northern Center. Kentucky airport. That's mm-hmm. where we flew in and out of. And there were this this row of Amazon Prime planes with a smile on yep. it. I'm like, wow, the economy is just, is really reconfiguring before our eyes. They cannot pull out of everywhere is my feeling. I think they're going to they're gonna be losing these things at the National Labor Relations Board and lots of places. They need, as I said many times, employment is going to be their biggest uh, opportunity and vulnerability. And they have to focus on it. And they can't just be obstreperous across the nation. It's coming No, from- as, as my oldest son will attest, pulling out doesn't always work. No. Oh, 
Come on, that's good. <laughs> that's you know, I'm canceling you for me. that. Consequence culture. I, am, I, I don't feel, feel safe around you. I feel unsafe. I don't feel safe around you. I don't feel, nobody feels safe around you. I don't know who that student is, I'm but dangerous. nobody feels unsafe I'm around dangerous. you. Just don't, for a piece of don't news. Don't stand too close to my flame. You might get oh, burnt. God, I can't believe I'm coming to Florida. I'm going to have to bring We're going to have such a nice time. I'm going to bring my weaponry. We're going to have such a nice time. I wonder if I can get on the plane. No plan. guns in the Galloway This is the first time I've flown, and it's for Scott Galloway. Let me just say. What do you think about that? That's right. What do you I'm think excited. about that? We're excited to Mostly see you. Mostly I want to see your wife who it. seems really like in the emails, Scott, the text, Scott is insane and doesn't know anything. And his wife gets in and she breaks it down, right? Like There's that. a word for that, German. Anyway, she's I'm good. I'm not allowed to talk to her. That's part of our room. I'm not supposed to talk to her on the show. Let me just say she operates this place like a panzer tank division. Let me just say she's great. Thank you so much. Just so you know, quick news. Supreme Court, we'll talk about it maybe Thursday, ruled six to two in Google's favor in a copyright dispute with Oracle, which has been going on for ever over Java APIs. Anyway, uh, they overturned Oracle's win. And I, we have, I've written so many stories about this or edited so many stories. So we'll talk about it maybe on uh, Thursday, but that's just news just in. Anyway, Scott, Tara. this has been a great show. I'm so glad you liked our guest. Professor, I yeah. I knew you good. would. I knew you would. And it's just, I, I think it's time to get to a more uh, cogent discussion, although not forgetting problems of the past. Thank you very much. Yeah, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I apologize. That was going to be a good wind down. I think we need stronger institutions. I think we yeah. need better infrastructure, corporations, and more responsible governments such that real time we can deal with these things before they turn into. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful if clueless men in their 50s or 60s were told, you know what, this behavior just doesn't wash. Stop yeah. it. And, and arrested for everyone's good, arrested them. It kind of. Yep. Before these things turned into terrible, I don't know, there's got to be, our institutions are weak. It is. It's absolutely true. Although there's not, you know, watching the George Floyd thing, there's not anyone that's going to say, oh, stand gosh. down, everybody. Awful. Don't Awful. worry about racism anymore. I just, that is not going to fly. Awful. Hor- not gonna horrific. Fly. Just not horrific. Not going to fly. There's, yeah, he agreed. was exactly where he was because of who he was. And that is yeah. just so clear agreed. in that case, at least. Anyway. Okay, Scott, that's the show. Come to Florida. I will be in Florida. Come to the land of crazy. We could broadcast from Florida, couldn't we? We will broadcast from Florida. Broadcast live. No, we're not going to broadcast. We'll do a little video. We'll We'll do do a TikTok dance in front of Scott's incredibly expensive pool. Okay, we'll be back on Friday for more. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit your questions. It's a pivot podcast and also link. uh, Also, the link is in our show notes. Uh, Read us out, Scott. Today's show is produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Ernie Intertot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Hannah Rosen and Drew Burrows. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or an Android user. Check us out on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Who discovered Florida? I don't know, but the jungle cat is rediscovering the craziest fucking state in the union. Come on down, Swisher. We're going to Miami. Team Swisher. We're going to Miami. Hey, Francisco Suarez, we're coming for you. Mm -hmm.